Uh, good afternoon. I always got to check the time in third service. Um, if you've got a Bible, you want to open it up to Second Peter. That's where we're going to spend uh, our time this morning. It's way back toward the back of your Bible. Um, while you get situated there, we're going to be in Second Peter chapter one. I want to talk a little bit about certainty. Uh, there's not much of it in life. Uh, in fact, oftentimes when we try to assert any form of certainty over our circumstances or the future or whatever, we end up looking somewhat foolish, which is exactly what happened in 2003. Uh, an NFC wildcard football game between the Seahawks and the Packers ended in a tie. And as the, the captains went out to do the coin toss for overtime, the Seahawks won the toss, and Matt Hasselbeck, the quarterback of the Seahawks, uttered what have become uh, somewhat infamous words that he can't ever shake, and that's that he stood there, he looked at the official, and he said, we want the ball, we're going to score. Well, they went three and out and punted. The Packers then went three and out, failed to get a first down, and punted. And when the Seahawks got the ball back, he threw an interception that the Packers ran back for uh, a pick six, and the Seahawks lost the game. He was fairly confident that they were going to score. Now... Uh, as a result of how that game turned out, any time a meaningful football game goes to overtime, some sort of joke is made at Matt Hasselbeck's expense that he was certain uh, and then was certainly wrong. The reality is that in most situations in life, we have very little certainty about what is going to happen. There are just far too many variables that are way outside of our control to be able to claim any sort of certainty over the events in our lives and certainly the things that are going to happen in the future. There's only one being in all of the universe who can work and act and know with any sort of certainty. In fact, he does it with absolute certainty, and that's God. And as we've mentioned, as we've walked through Scripture uh, up to this point over the course of the year, he has that sort of certainty because he is sovereign. And any certainty that we can draw in life comes from him and him only. It's based in his sovereignty. It's based in who he is. It's given to us in scripture or we see it in the person and work of Jesus Christ on the cross. What we're going to look at here in first and second Peter, if you're reading with us this week, is that Peter's two letters, they deal with certainty. In fact, Peter's entire life, that is uh, certainty is kind of a theme in Peter's entire life. God uses Peter's life to bring the truth that salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ is certainly available to all. We've been working our way through the narrative portions of Scripture over the course of this year, and as we read in Acts this week, if you're following along with us, Acts 10 is the story uh, of that happening, the account of Peter going to a Gentile person's house, someone who's not of Jewish descent, and having this vision there. And it's through that experience that Peter uh, makes this confident declaration that just like Jewish people can be saved by Jesus Christ, so can anybody else. It happens like this. In Acts 10, 28, Peter says, God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. He goes on in verses 34 and 35 and says, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. It's through Peter that God brings this sort of uh, worldwide revelation 
that anybody who places their faith in Jesus Christ, regardless of their heritage, can be saved. And then as Peter's life and ministry go on, the letters of Peter remind us of the certainties guaranteed to us by our salvation. Not only can we all be 100% sure that salvation is available to us by faith in Jesus, we can also be 100% sure of all the promises that come along with that. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at first, our 2 Peter chapter 1. And uh, it's, it's a departure from the... Uh, the book of Acts, but as we work our way through the book of Acts, we're going to insert these New Testament epistles where they make sense. And so since Acts 1 through 10 has been all about the church in Jerusalem, uh, and Peter being the central fixture there, it makes sense for us to take a small break this week and to spend a week looking at Peter's epistles that he writes. Um, I'm going to focus on 2 Peter this morning because last year in the fall, we did a full series on 1 Peter. If you're interested uh, in any of those messages, we did a, a deep dive into the the letter of 1 Peter, you can find those on our website. Um, I'm going to begin working here in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. And what we're going to do is we're just going to pull out some of the certainties that Peter gives us over the first 15 verses of this letter. And there are tons all throughout all three chapters. But in 15 verses, I'm going to bring out seven of these. So 2 Peter 1, 1 says this, Simon Peter a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. That is certainty number one. You don't even have to finish the first verse. Salvation is equally available for all. That becomes the bedrock of Peter's life and his ministry. It burns white hot within him for the remainder of his days. All of his life, that becomes the central message that Peter wants the world to understand. You see it in his interactions with the apostles in the rest of the book of Acts. You see it and hear it in his letters that he writes. It's a truth that we take for granted. In the church today, it is uh, an accepted, a clung-to reality that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever shall believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. As a church that uh, is very invested in in missions, particularly cross-cultural, global missions. This is a truth that we take for granted. But in the early church, this declaration shook the foundation of what they thought faith in Jesus Christ was. The idea that any person could be saved by faith in Jesus Christ, all human beings, women and men, of all places, classes, and ethnic backgrounds, had equal access to faith through Jesus Christ. It literally sent the apostles into like what today we would consider a series of meetings to figure out if, in fact, that was actually true. Is it just Jewish people that can be saved or is it, in fact, everyone? Peter says unequivocally. He has this experience with God in Acts chapter 10. He says all people, anyone can be saved by faith in Jesus Christ. His letters, 1st and 2nd Peter, are both what are called general epistles. They're not written addressed to a specific church. A lot of the New Testament epistles like Philippians or Ephesians or 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, they're sent to one local body of believers. 1st and 2nd Peter were meant to be circulated. He wrote them and then they allowed them to be distributed and read in wide areas of people. Uh, both of them are written to Gentile believers. And so he begins his letter with this amazing encouragement. 
You've obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. There's nothing different about the promises and the gift of salvation to you than there is to anybody else. And we can still be certain of that today. Salvation is equally available to all. Verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted us or has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. The beginning of verse 3 again. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Actually, I skipped the second half of verse 1. I'm very sorry. I just got ahead of myself. I got excited. Jump back up. The second half of verse 1 says, To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is a really important certainty to skip over. I can't believe I just did that. The second certainty is that salvation is earned only by the work of Jesus. You can be 100% certain that on the day that you stand before the Lord in judgment, nothing you've done is going to grant you access into his presence for all of eternity. Not a single thing. In fact, the opposite is true. Everything that you've done in your life, no matter how wonderful it is, is going to earn you exclusion from his presence for all of eternity. That's because you are marked by sin. Every human being that has ever lived is marked by the presence of sin. Salvation is only ever, always earned by Jesus Christ. If you're here and you've placed your faith in Christ, then there's something freeing in that for you. Because once you've placed your faith in Him, you don't have to spend the rest of your life trying to earn His sacrifice on your behalf. You don't have to behave a certain way uh, in order to be saved. You don't have to uphold all the commands of Scripture in order for salvation to be something that comes to you. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then your salvation has been achieved by Him and by Him alone. There's also an important truth there for people who haven't placed their faith in Jesus Christ. One day you are going to stand in judgment before the Lord. In fact, First Peter, or Second Peter chapter 3 is going to spell that out. And in that moment, You're either going to stand there marked by the presence of your own sin or you're going to stand there covered by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And if by faith in Jesus you stand there and God, the Lord from his seat of judgment, looks upon you and sees the righteousness of Christ, then you're going to spend eternity in his presence. But if, on the other hand, you stand there uncovered by his righteousness, then you will be excluded from his presence for all of eternity. If God is going to accept you at your moment of judgment, it will be not because of anything you've done for yourself, but because of everything that Jesus has done on your behalf. You can be absolutely certain of that. That 2,000 years separated from the life of Peter in a continent that he didn't even know existed, we have equal salvation only because of the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. You can be absolutely certain of that. Now let's do verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Certainty number three is that you have all you need for life and for growth. By life, that means eternal life. That by faith in Jesus Christ, you have everything you need for eternal life in the presence of the Lord. But you also have all that you need for a fullness of life here and now. That thanks to the work of Jesus on your behalf, he holds out for you the 
opportunity to experience a fullness of life that is not possible aside from him. You see, what happens is that when we live uh, a life apart from Jesus Christ, we naturally chase the things that our flesh or that our sinful desire wants, and those don't ever lead to a fullness of life. In fact, they lead us to places of brokenness, to places of hurt, to places where we're causing uh, pain to the people around us and to ourselves. And yet, instead of searching for something else, we think that more of that fleshly thing, more of that sinful thing is going to be what ultimately brings us some measure of happiness, and yet it will never come. But if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then you have the opposite. That rather than being kind of flung back and forth by the whims of your sinful desire, instead you can have your appetite fed by the things of God. That He makes those clear to you. That He offers them to you in full. He came that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly, that you might have it in its full measure. But you also have everything that you need for growth in Jesus Christ, all that you need for sanctification, all that you need to live a more godly life, and that's been given to you in the presence of the Holy Spirit that dwells within a believer. That the thing that frees you from the entanglement of your sin is not just a head knowledge that you've been saved by Jesus Christ, but a heart transformation that comes from the presence of the Holy Spirit within you. That begins to break your desires for the things of this world. You have all that you need for life and for growth. God's action on your behalf through Jesus Christ has an effect on your life. It has an impact. In fact, it has more than one. It grants you eternal life. That's an effect. It offers you the fullness of earthly life. That's an effect. And it has the power to move you toward an ever-increasing degree of Christ-likeness. You can be certain of those things. Verses 5 through 7. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Peter is building out something here, and it's got a logical order to it that's important for us to see. That salvation is equally available to all, but that's only ever earned by the righteousness of Jesus Christ and faith in Him. And that because of that, you have all that you need for eternal life and all that you need for godliness. And so because of that, he's pointing out, that grace always precedes demand. If you're a note taker, you can write that down. The Gospels, the story of all of Scripture, the epistle writers, they make it clear. The grace of God always precedes the demands of God. And so because you've got an equal salvation through Jesus Christ and that's granted you eternal life and all that you need for a fullness of life and for godliness, now Peter can say, make every effort. The fourth certainty is that sanctification requires effort. Godliness in your life is a group project. It's a partnership. It requires your effort. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit that lives within you, but it requires something of you. In fact, when it comes to sanctification, God is not going to drag you kicking and screaming into Christ-likeness. But He will absolutely hold you up while you walk with Him in that direction. God's work on your behalf has an effect in your life, and that effect bears evidence in the way that you live. What does that evidence look like? Well, Peter 
spells out some of that here in verses 5 through 7. It looks like adding virtue to your faith and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness, brotherly affection and love. That's not a definitive list. It's also not an ordered list that you could kind of make some sort of checklist out of. Like, do I have some virtue? Check. Now I can move on. Do I have a little bit of knowledge? Check. Now I can move on. That's not how those work. All of those are growing within the life of a believer simultaneously. And there are other things that grow within the life of a believer. Think of uh, the fruits of the Spirit from Galatians. Love, joy, peace, patience. All of those are happening inside you, but they only happen with your effort. They only happen as you partner with the Holy Spirit to grow in your likeness to Christ. I don't know how many of you have spent much time water skiing or on the lake and watching someone else water ski. The boat does literally all of the work. But if you don't give a little bit of effort in that, what's going to happen is that you're holding on to a rope, being towed at like 20 miles an hour behind a boat, hoping your swim trunks don't come off. You've got to do something in order to actually be able to water ski. You've got to give a little bit of effort there while the boat does the vast majority of the work. The same is true in your life as a believer as you grow in Christ-likeness. The Holy Spirit is going to do the vast majority of the work. God has provided all that you need for godliness, but you've still got to make an effort, and not just a little bit of effort. Peter says you make every effort to grow in your likeness to Jesus. Verses 8 through 10. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Certainty number five is that you can be certain, you can be sure of your salvation and standing before God. And one of the ways that you can be sure about your standing as a saved and eternally secure follower of Jesus Christ is by examining whether or not the process of sanctification is happening inside your life, in your heart. I've said this uh, from up here before, I believe, but I can't remember who the original quote is from, so I can't attribute it, but uh, it's said that one of the truest marks of a believer is that they wrestle. That they wrestle with their flesh, in matters of obedience to the will and calling of God, in matters of obedience to the commands of Scripture, that in matters of sanctification, you wrestle. You're not just content with the sin that still exists in your life. You're not just content with the behaviors or attitudes or uh, actions or words that well up inside your heart that are contrary to the things of God. You wrestle. Mark Dever is a pastor in Washington, D.C. He says this, If you are a Christian, your life ought to be characterized by looking forward to a home of righteousness. In this world, you will never be perfectly spotless and blameless, but the struggle for spotlessness and blamelessness will characterize you. The struggle does not make you a Christian. It is simply what a Christian does. You can be sure. In fact, Peter tells us to be diligent in confirming these things. If you're ever doubting whether or not you've been saved or whether or not your uh, eternal future is secure thanks to the work of Jesus Christ, you can run through a little checklist and reestablish some certainty in your life. 
Ask yourself, am I certain of the truths of the gospel and their application to my life? Do I love Jesus with all of my heart? Am I aware, do I have a growing awareness of the places in my heart where something reigns larger than Jesus Christ? Am I convicted and broken by the sin that remains in my life? Do I wrestle with it in my soul? Am I making every effort to be faithful and obedient to the commands of Scripture? You can be diligent about those matters. And in so doing, you can have certainty about your salvation and about your righteous standing before God thanks to the cleansing work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. One of the beauties of uh, being in a church and uh, living life alongside faithful brothers and sisters in the Lord who are further down the road than you is that you have the opportunity to see the lives of people who've walked with Jesus for a really long time. And I know for myself that there are some men and women in my life that I look at and I think to myself, if my level of Christ-likeness ever gets to that point, I hope Jesus just takes me then. Like, I don't know if I'm ever going to make it to there. But then you sit down with those people and you hear them talk, and not only do they have these beautiful lives that look a whole lot like Jesus, they also have this acute sense inside of themselves of just how broken they are. And the places and the things that we look at from the outside and we say, gosh, that person looks like Jesus, they look inward and they say, but I don't. And they wrestle with those things. It burdens their heart. The more closely we walk with Jesus, the bigger and bigger and bigger the gospel looks to us and the more and more we realize our need for it and the sin that still exists within our lives. You can be certain about your salvation and standing before God and the way you can be certain is by examining whether or not you wrestle with your sin. Verse 11, For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Sixth certainty here in the first 15 verses of 2 Peter is that your eternal future is secure. It's secure. In fact, in his first letter, Peter talks about this at length. 1 Peter 1 verses 3 to 5 say this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading being kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded for a faith are guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ you've got equal standing in your salvation it's only by the work of Jesus and there is this inheritance waiting for you for all of eternity and nothing can tarnish it it cannot be taken away from you nothing can change it nothing can spoil it That message is of immense importance to Peter, and there's a reason why. It's because for Peter, the promise of eternal future makes the enduring of temporary life not only possible, but joyful. And he wants the same to be true for us. He goes on in 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 and says, In this, in that unfading hope of eternity, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that is refined by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter wants that to be true in every believer's life. There's nothing that can take away the glorious reality of eternity in the presence of the Lord. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you can be certain of that. 
verses 12 to 15. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. The final certainty here in the first 15 verses of 2 Peter is that you cannot be reminded, uh, you cannot remind or be reminded of the gospel enough. It's impossible, Peter says, to hear about the truth of the gospel enough. It's impossible, he says, to remind yourself of these glorious truths enough. And so he also commits, I'm going to give my entire life to it until the day Jesus takes me away. I'm going to remind you of these things so that when I'm gone, you can continue to recall them. If you're here this morning and you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you can't have enough reminders of the gospel. That's why on any given Sunday morning, whether it's myself or T.A. or Kurt or Bob Vogelar or Bruce Dawson or Randy Binkley or whoever stands up here to teach, we share the message, we share the truth of the fact that God sent His Son into the world to live a sinless life, die the death that sin deserved as a substitutionary punishment for all of humanity so that anyone who places his faith in Him might have their sin forgiven and spend eternity in the presence of a holy and a righteous God. We share that message every Sunday, not just because we know there are people in here who haven't placed their faith in it, but because we know that we personally need it and that every single believer in Jesus needs it as well. We have to have those reminders, and we should give them as believers. We should give those reminders as often as possible. Parents to your children, spouses to your husband or wife, brother to your sister, sister to your brother, small group leader to small group member, kids point leader to the kids in their class, D group leader to the students they lead. We need reminders of the gospel. As we've read through scripture, I hope you saw in the Old Testament just how forgetful we are as human beings of the goodness of the Lord to us. We need to be reminded of the truth of the gospel all the time. That is a certainty. I saw in a devotional book by Tim Keller, uh, a prayer he offered at the end of one of his devotions that said, God, help me remember tomorrow what you taught me today. Those are the kinds of reminders we need as believers in Jesus Christ. Help me remember tomorrow what you taught me today. Help me remember tomorrow the truth of the gospel. Peter's going to go on from uh, this point forward in the rest of Second Peter, and he's going to give more certainties. At the end of chapter 1, he says you can be certain that the gospel is a historical reality. Throughout chapter 2, he says you can be certain that false teachers are going to come. But you can also be certain that you can pick them out because the truth of their message doesn't align with the truth of God's word and the fruit of their lives doesn't align with the truth of God's word. And you can be certain, he says at the end of chapter 2, that they're going to be judged someday for bearing false witness to him. And then he goes on in chapter 3 and he says you can actually be certain that everyone is going to be judged at the end of all things. And we're all going to have to stand before the Lord and give an account. And you're either going to be covered by Jesus or you're not going to be covered by the righteousness of Jesus. And he finishes his letter by saying that all the promises of God will certainly come to pass at exactly the time he wants them to. That it might feel slow to you, it may feel long to you, but a day is like a thousand years to him and a thousand years is like a day. And his timing is absolutely perfect. You can be certain of that. I'm going to invite the a worship team to come back up. We're going to 
sing uh, Now Nothing Is Holding Me Back From You. It's a song that was playing while, you, while we were taking communion. Uh, that is the central certainty of the gospel message, that by faith in Jesus Christ, nothing is holding you back from a right relationship with the Lord for all of eternity. God uses the life of Peter to bring the truth that salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ is certainly available to all. And then as Peter's life goes on, the letters of Peter remind us, all believers, of the certainties guaranteed to us through our salvation. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, nothing is holding you back from Him. If you haven't placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the most important thing you can do is realize that your sin separates you from a holy and a righteous God and that you need a Savior and that Savior is Jesus Christ. Let's stand up and worship together.